0: today, if you'll turn there, and let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are so good to us all, that you have shown compassion on us sinners, that you have sent your Son to be our Savior, and we thank you for this passage that we'll be reading today. We pray you would fill us with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, so we could understand what you're saying, that we could lay it to heart, that we could walk in light of your truth, give us hearts of gratitude and thankfulness for all that you've done for us and that you've demonstrated your love by sending your Son to be our Savior. Lord, we're so unworthy and uh, so grateful that you have done everything for us. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for reconciliation. Thank you that we can rejoice knowing that our names are written in your book of life that we have a hope in heaven that will never fade away. And our hearts go out, Lord, to those affected by fires today. We pray that you would uh, just bring comfort to them. You'd give strength to those fighting the fires and that you would send the rain, Father. We ask that you would just uh, bring refreshment to weary souls, to a dry land. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to do this. And we love and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not surprised that God would use angels to be his messengers or ministers, but I am surprised that he employs people to do his work. Um, Think about the prophecy of Malachi. There had been 400 years that had passed and there was no, uh, I guess, revelation from God written for us to read. We know that God was working during that time. But there's this flurry of activity in the beginning of the book of Luke that we're reading where... Jesus has been sent, and the, whole, and the Holy Spirit was going to fill uh, John the Baptist to prepare the way for Christ. We have um, that angelic vision that of Gabriel that uh, Zacharias saw in the temple, and him being struck mute, his wife in her old age conceiving, and then Mary having uh, conceiving as a virgin. That God would reach out to us and God would partner with us to have a part in his plan. It's like God came to unprepared people in an unexpected way to prepare the way for Jesus. And uh, it's kind of like life was going on as usual for year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and God has this unexpected holy interruption of regular life where people who are not expecting pregnancy are now pregnant. And he is going to accomplish awesome things through it. Um, let's begin in Luke 1, 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The angel Gabriel told Mary that she would conceive in her womb by the Holy Spirit, And he also told Elizabeth, that was a relative by marriage, um, because they weren't from the same house, that um, Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. I'm sorry, this mic is really bothering me. Um, Could we get that other one? Thanks. What can you say? So we will just do this. Okay. So in the King James, it talks about cousin, that uh, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, or they were cousins. But the word is sygenis, which is a general term for relative. So they were, we don't know exactly how they were related, but they were kin's women. And the news prompted Mary to go to the hill country of Judea. That's some 130 to 160 Ks away. And we have a A uh, little graphic to show you the distance that she traveled. Can you guys see that? So she's up in Nazareth. Mary's up there. Uh, Gabriel says, you're going to conceive. And your relative, Elizabeth, has conceived in her old age. And she's already six months pregnant. The one who was called barren. And so Mary, it says she went with haste all the way down to the hill country of Judea outside Jerusalem. So uh, average traveling day in that time would be about 30 Ks a day. That would be making good time. And since it says with haste, she probably was there in a week or two. She was there. And we don't know if she traveled with a bunch of people or a caravan or exactly how that looked. Um, but she travels that way. And when Mary enters the house, it says, of Zacharias and greets Elizabeth, the baby inside Elizabeth leaps. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. You think of babies and what they can perceive inside the womb, like they can recognize voices. And when it was kind of a joke in our family that when Laura was pregnant with Zed, we used to do a lot of 10-pin bowling. And uh, you know the sound, the crashing of the pins, the crashing of the pins, that was the place where Zed slept so well. some kids, you put them in the pram or you get them in the car and drive around. Well, you just go to the bowling alley and Zed would be just, just crashing. So we're like, this is it for him. So um, he hears the voice, but, and you're like, well, the baby wouldn't know. But because he's filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, John the Baptist, he, he leaps in his mother's womb for joy. And it says Elizabeth, she speaks in a loud voice, and she blesses Mary. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she says, Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? One role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. In Jewish culture, the older was bestowed with greater honor. So it's very interesting that this older cousin or older relative, she spoke of the child Mary was carrying as her Lord. That's very out of the ordinary. Um, And you think of these, Elizabeth had some good things to say. She has a lot of really exciting news that she could have talked about Zacharias and the vision he had. She could have talked about this unexpected pregnancy, like, yeah, who would have thought that I'd be pregnant at this age, and, uh, and, and how things were changing around the house, and the things that Zacharias was doing, and the things that people would talk about during her pregnancy. She doesn't say anything about any of that. She's just focused on the baby that had been conceived in Mary that nobody else knew about, that nobody else could see. I do love the words of that carol, Joy to the World. They say, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. The preparing of room, to giving space to the presence of God. If you had an unexpected visitor that you loved, you would be excited about them coming. You would do anything in your power to accommodate them. You would make sure that they had, I mean, you would give up your own room if somebody that you loved had come and needed a place to stay. How much more our king. So we need, how good for us to make room for our affections, in our affections, and in our desires, and in our time for God, for Christ, who has come, who has visited us. And she's like, how do I deserve this, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? She's excited about Mary's visit and about Christ coming. We should be excited that our God has come to us. Mary arrives. She sees Elizabeth, obviously pregnant, being six months along. It confirmed the words spoken to her by Gabriel. But she didn't need to see that to believe. Because we see what uh, Elizabeth said. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. There's things that... um, God has promised in his word and promised to you that you haven't seen the fulfillment of it yet. You're still waiting for that. But God, he has the right time in mind. We have our own ideas of what he should do. Um, but Mary would be blessed to see all the fulfillment of what God had promised. And that word blessed, it means well off or happy. We all want to be well off, right? Right. Faith in God is much more than positive thinking. Positive thinking has no power to change your circumstances or you. But there is uh, trust in God. That brings us rest even when we haven't seen the fulfillment yet. Even when we're not sure what the future holds. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Mary's been blessed by Elizabeth, and now she magnifies the Lord. She wasn't, again, talking up or proud or boasting about how she has been chosen by God to carry the Son of God. She magnifies the Lord. Now, magnifying, we know, makes something large that's small. It makes something that's unseen visible, like an astronomer would use a telescope to see far-off heavenly bodies that normally the naked eye cannot see, or a biologist would use magnification to see cells and microscopic organisms that you couldn't see without magnification. People can go through life content with parties and fun and friends and good food and activities and holidays and singing songs, but they don't consider the Lord. He he hasn't come into focus for them. And so like Mary magnifies the Lord, that's our role to be drawing attention to him, bringing him into focus and how he has done great things, how he has become our savior. Especially when we have the opportunity to be proud to be lifted up, to talk about ourselves. Mary's not talking about herself or the, even the favor bestowed upon her. She just magnifies the Lord, and I love that. This is called the Magnificat um, by some. And it, to me, it, it's very similar to the, the praise of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah was a barren woman that God caused to have a child uh, with Elkanah. And that was Samuel, the prophet. Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. It shows that she too needed a Savior, that she, um, without him, was in sin and needed saving. Uh, She acknowledged God's grace, you know, that God would choose her, a girl from Nazareth, who all future generations would call blessed. And so she speaks of all he'd done. The mighty God, he's done great things for her. He's distinct from all other gods, being holy. He's pure, righteous. He's merciful to those who fear him from generation to generation. So he's everlasting. His mercy endures and is is new daily. I like Proverbs 3 34 and 35. It says of God, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. God gives grace to the humble in the Old Testament, God was gracious. God was gracious to Mary. He was gracious to us in sending his son, that God puts down the mighty, and those who uh, are proud He, he casts off. Verse 53, it says that God feeds the hungry with good things, and the rich are sent away empty. And this is interesting because it doesn't mean that the rich person doesn't have a full belly or many possessions, but Someone who is rich in this world can have everything but remain empty because they have no room for God in their life. No space for God. No time for Him. He's already full. What need does He have for God? All who hunger and thirst, they're the ones who will be satisfied, they're the ones who will be filled. God helped Israel and his descendants, not because they were great and mighty, but because they were the least of the nations, and God was gracious and kind to them. God kept his promise to Abraham, to his seed forever. Look at this glorious worship and praise from a humble heart. There's some that would exalt Mary into a sinless saint that she has no need for salvation or forgiveness, and others see her as the original social justice warrior. I'm like, I read this, I don't see that at all. I don't see any, either of those things because what she's saying here is magnifying the Lord. She's talking about what God does, not what she is going to accomplish. How he showed mercy to those who fear him. So instead of deifying people in scripture, we're to praise God that he would regard us, that he would send his son, that he would regard our low estate. Could you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4? starting in verse 5. Now, Paul was writing to people who were really elevating certain teachers and putting down others, and Paul was an apostle chosen by God, and um, he was teaching them that sound doctrine and profitable ministry, it's not the result of people. It's not because they're so great. It's because God is awesome. God does the work. It's the Holy Spirit who is accomplishing this through his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We should be grateful for Paul and others who labored in the word. We should be grateful to Mary for carrying and caring for the Son of God. But God is the one to magnify. He's the one to exalt because he's the one who's accomplished these things. He's the one who's doing them. And I think our carnal nature is drawn to, to uh, worship and admire places and relics and people to give them the honor. That's really God's alone. Verse 56, it says, Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months. Since she was already three months pregnant, it's likely she stayed until the birth of John. But it says after this, she returned to her house. And we'll see that Luke, he employs this kind of uh, way of wrapping up that loose end now. And then we get into what happened. So when, uh, like, she was there for three months after this point. Luke 1, 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise a child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. According to God's promise, Elizabeth gave birth to a son, the neighbors, the friends, they all rejoiced. They were so glad, Um, not because she was a mother or survived childbirth in her old age, but because the Lord had shown great mercy to her. There's a lot of ways that God shows mercy and compassion to people. It doesn't mean that everyone is going to be a father, or mother, or even married Moses said of God in Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. So that's a way that God is gracious and merciful, that he forgives. He gives grace to those who are worthy of death. David wrote this in Psalm 86, 13, for great is your mercy towards me, for you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. God shows mercy by keeping his promises. God shows mercy in so many ways. When we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we find all of our spiritual and physical needs met. God does much more than like the care you would give your animal as a child, where you're like, well, needs food and water. There's a bowl, you fill it, you clean up after that animal occasionally, and, and that's it. Now, I know a lot of you guys have animals and pets and love them and take great care of them. But when I was a kid, we had a dog and the dog was an outside dog and we liked to play with the dog. But that's not the, the kind of care I showed for our dog is not the same care that God shows for me or for you because he cares much more about is that water bowl full or is that food bowl full? He cares about our future. He cares about eternity and he wants to be with us forever. On the eighth day, Zacharias and Elizabeth they circumcised their son according to the law of Moses. It seems like people gathered to them, perhaps in their home, and this procedure went back to the covenant God made with Abraham and his descendants. Part of the process was you would formally announce the child's name that the parents had agreed upon. To this, day, I looked up some of the common. Practices about naming kids, and to this day, I I saw a cliche that said, two Jews, three opinions when it comes to naming a child. So there's a lot of variance in practices. Some people, they'll name their child after someone who is alive because it gives honor to a relative, or perhaps someone in their family who has died but had these really positive attributes to really instill some... uh, you know, to inspire a future generation to be like these people of old, or people from scripture that you would say, well, this is, you know, I want you to be like this, and this is why this name is significant. From the text, though, we see it was assumed by those around the family that he would be named after Zacharias, who at this time was still unable to speak, Uh, but Elizabeth corrected them. She said, no, he shall be called John, and everyone's shocked. They just can't believe it. They're like, there's nobody in our family by that name. And I looked in the Old Testament, and there's not one John or Yohanan in all of the Old Testament. So they're like, what is this name? Where did that come from? Clearly, Zechariah had conveyed what the angel had said, that she would bear a son, and his name would be John. The name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. John, it means God is gracious. It's like God remembers to be gracious. He certainly has. Verse 62, so they made signs to his father, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. I really love this bit because Zacharias, he's mute, but he's not deaf. Everyone's like making signs to him. You know how that happens? You, someone, it's maybe their second language. So you talk louder as if that's going to help them understand better. But, so they're making signs to him. What should his name be? And he's like, oh, give me that tablet. He's like, his name is John. Everyone was amazed. They were amazed that he said, his name is John, like he agreed with this name that they had never heard of. What happens next was even more amazing. As suddenly as he was struck mute in the temple, now he speaks and he's praising God. So for 10 months, because of his unbelief, he was unable to speak. Now suddenly he's speaking and he's praising God. This was the first time little John had ever heard his dad's voice never heard it before. And I wonder what Zacharias was going through during these 10 months of waiting, where he's thinking back to that angelic vision. And in verse 13 of this chapter, we read that Gabriel had said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. But because he didn't believe, in verse 20, it says, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak, until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So Elizabeth has the child, still can't speak. And then the days are passing, and he maybe wrote, his name is John. His name is going to be John. What's with the holdup? But it wasn't until he acknowledged before everybody, his name is John, that suddenly God allows him to speak. I I, I, I'm sure he hoped to speak right after the birth of the son, but God was pleased to make him wait. Now, can can you imagine not being able to speak for 10 months because of your unbelief? Because you did not believe, you cannot speak. It's traditional for the Jews to pray and to read the Bible out loud. He couldn't do that. I'm sure he felt left out of a lot of conversations with God and with others. Now, it's, it is common among Jewry as well to pray silently. But the common practice, and as a priest, he would be very used to reciting his prayers out loud, but he can't do that. I wonder if you felt forgotten or lonely. But take heart, believer, because the Lord fulfills his word in his own time. We are not fond of waiting, but God is willing to wait He will keep his word. God was willing to have the nation wait 400 years between the promise of John the Baptist coming and him being sent. This morning in my devotions, I read of Jesus when he has been sent a message that his friend, the one he loved, Lazarus, was ill, and he remained two more days in the place where he was. And when he went to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and it says that now Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Therefore, he waited where he was for two more days. We just go, wait a second. If he really loved them, wouldn't he just run over there, dropped everything, or just suddenly appeared over there to just save the day? But His plan was more than just raising Lazarus from the dead, something they didn't expect, but so that they would believe and be saved forever. He he was working on something. They couldn't see it. But in the end, it came out. God has his good plans when we have to wait, when we're made to wait and we don't want to, just like he gives us those holy interruptions that we don't expect. He's doing something. He's working. So the, his mouth is opened, and he's not saying, Well, glad that's over. No, he's praising God. He's extolling the Almighty. And it says that people were like, Wow, they saw this and they started discussing it amongst themselves in the hill country of Judea, keeping tabs on John the Baptist and going, Well, he wasn't the Baptist yet, but keeping eyes on John, going, How how is this kid going to turn out? What a remarkable thing that's happened. Giving birth in old age, angelic visions, mute, now able to speak. It says the hand of the Lord was with him, with John. Now in, in the Old Testament, we read many times of God's hand being against people or upon them. And usually it's a negative thing, right? Like when the The Ark of the Covenant was being passed around the cities in Philistia, uh, and it says his hand was heavy upon them there. That's like, whoa, that's plaguing and bad. But in this case, his hand was with him. There's another time this word is used in Acts 11.21. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So God was with them. That means to be amid, in the midst So God was in the midst of his life. He had filled him, right? Holy Spirit filled from the womb, and God was going to use him and was guiding and residing within him. Verse 67, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Who have, since been, who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit He prophesies, which is called by some the Benedictus. And the Holy Spirit, who had inspired the writing of the scriptures, both old and new, spoke through Zacharias, and he blessed God who redeemed his people. He says he has visited and redeemed them. Now to visit, that's to inspect or to go see or to select. The word redeem is to ransom. You've seen movies where there's someone who's been abducted, and the kidnappers say, all right, if you ever want to see your son again, you need to give us a ransom of so much money. And uh, the, the two parts of a ransom is a payment that must be given, but then a restoration to what had hap- what the previous state was. So it wasn't like, if you, it's not a ransom if they're giving them another kid. It's a ransom because they're getting their kid back. And so God, he has redeemed us. He's ransomed his people the Jews, from those who hated them, they, they had been in bondage. We remember them being in Egypt, being in bondage. God delivered them with a mighty hand. Um, and when Zacharias spoke, the Jews were in bondage to Rome. They were occupied at that time. And all humans were captives of sin, right? We, all, all people are sinners. We need, a, we need salvation. And God raised up a horn of salvation. In the house of David, as was prophesied, to deliver Jews from the hands of their enemies. But we know from John 4, 22, that salvation is of the Jews, but not only for the Jews, that all who seek to be saved through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, can be. That salvation's for all people. Zacharias, he hearkens back to the covenant that God made with Abraham and how this visitation kept that promise. And to what end? He ransomed them for what? It says that God's people could serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Remember when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt that God directed Moses to plead with Pharaoh. And he said many times, let my people go that they may go and serve me. The implication is they could not serve God while they were enslaved to Pharaoh. Jesus taught that no man can serve two masters. If you're slaves to Pharaoh, you can't really serve me. So you have to come away from that. You have to be freed from that slavery so you can serve God. Serving, worshiping, sacrificing, obeying God, that was not in Pharaoh's agenda for the children of Israel, was it? Think about what his agenda was. He wanted them gathering straw. He wanted them uh, baking bricks and building his cities. He wanted their little sons thrown into the river. And he wanted their workers to be punished for not meeting his impossible demands. That's what he wanted. That was his plan. But God's plan was to redeem them from that, to bring them out so that they could serve God without fear of reprisal. And that picture of the Hebrews toiling in Egypt, it illustrates life in bondage to sin and to death. Puts demands upon us. And if we're in sin, we cannot please God. We cannot serve God as we ought. Like the Hebrews, every human being is powerless to deliver themselves from that enslavement, right? They cried out to God because they couldn't save themselves because they were oppressed. It required miraculous divine intervention for the Hebrews to go free from Egypt, and it takes miraculous divine intervention for us to be saved from sin and delivered from death. And God has made a way through Jesus, giving us salvation. We don't deserve a ransom. We don't even deserve a visit, but God has come to us, and he has made a way for us to know him and to be made holy and righteous by God's grace. I mean, wonder of wonders what he has done. 76, and you, child, will be called prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. After he extolled the almighty God who visited and ransomed his people, Zacharias then turns his attention to his son and he utters this prophecy over him that he would be the prophet of the highest. And doesn't mean he's the highest prophet. It means he's the prophet of the highest, who is Jesus Christ. He would prepare the way for him. Now, when a high-level dignitary or a delegation visits Sydney, there's planning that takes place far in advance. There's uh, emergency personnel and police, and they decide, all right, how are we going to give support and security a detail for the, this route? What route are they going to take? What roads do we need to block off? Um, What sort of recognizance do we need from the air, um, depending on the level? Escorts and security from the the, uh, airport all the way to their destination, and it, it can involve thousands of people and cost millions of dollars. And before God visited us, and who is greater than he in the person of Jesus Christ, the responsibility to prepare the way fell on one man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was able to do it. And how would he do this? How would he prepare the way? He said he would give knowledge of salvation to God's people by the remission or forgiveness of sins. Now, John, as we'll read, he had this really unique manner because he was living out in the wilderness. He was wearing this leather girdle around his waist. He was eating locusts and wild honey. And... The way that he spoke and the authority he had, it captivated, it captivated the imagination of the people and they wondered, is this the Messiah? The way that he preached to them and talked about forgiveness of sins and their need to be walking with God they, and be baptized to show their change of heart, they wondered, is this the Messiah? He was, that, he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he's like wetting their appetite. He's getting them thinking about sin. And people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the surrounds, they went to seek him out. Even people from uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they went up from Jerusalem out into the wilderness to find this guy that everyone was talking about. And they're like, Have you heard John? Have you been baptized by John? They were all talking about it, all thinking about it. Remission means freedom, pardon, deliverance, or forgiveness. And a common way we use the word remission is if cancer's in remission, which means that the victim is not currently experiencing any of the negative symptoms or dangers of cancer. Now, a big difference between the way that cancer can be in remission is it can come out of remission, right? And it can just suddenly hit you with full force again. But when we've had remission of sins, forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, all of our sin has been washed away. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ through faith in him and forgiven forever. So that's an amazing thing. Zechariah, he spoke of God visiting his people. The day spring from on high who would give light to darkness, the word who become flesh, and guide feet in the way of peace. And every phrase he uses is so loaded. You could go to tons of other scriptures and uh, to back up what he's saying. So many allusions to scripture here. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd uh, that David wrote of in Psalm 23 that leads us through the valley of the shadow of death where we fear no evil because he's with us. Right? It's just so poignant. And then you have... Uh, Jesus telling his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We have a world darkened with sin, despair, and death. John was sent to prepare the way, to get people ready, to get them anticipating, questioning, wondering, is this the Messiah? And then Jesus came on the scene as we will read. Uh, through his baptism and on. Verse 80 says, So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So John became strong in spirit. He was prepared by God for that task of preparing the nation and the world for the Messiah that God would send. Filled by the Holy Spirit, he led this solitary experience. It was not normal. In the Jewish culture, for a young man to just go off into the desert to le- lead a solitary life, um, all alone, until you know, like, what are you doing out there, John? Well, I'm waiting until I'm manifested to Israel. Like, I don't know if he used those terms, but it's kind of like, okay, he's a, he's a different sort. It's, he's always been a bit different. We always wondered about this, John. You know, he's got the, and he's got such devout parents. Like you'd think that he would be more into like the priesthood and being trained in this and that, but. And he knows God. How is this possible? Living in the wilderness like Elijah was not normal in the culture, but God had given him this unique task that God would fulfill in a unique way. God would be faithful to accomplish. It got me thinking about how Israel, they looked to John and they wondered, is this the Christ? And some of them followed him, hoping he was the Christ at a point. But he wasn't the Christ. He was preparing the way for Jesus and the disciples of Jesus, they had this expectation and hope that because he is the Messiah, he was gonna be the king and they were gonna be in his inner circle and they were gonna overthrow the Romans and you know, set up that throne and be free from that oppression. But Jesus didn't set up his throne immediately. He didn't do what they expected him to do. He was the promised Messiah that God had sent to seek and to save the lost. And after Christ's resurrection, What were they asking him? They say, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were really on this point. But he says in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus wanted to empower his disciples to prepare the way so that their hearts could have Christ enthroned to prepare others to receive the good news of salvation. And we share the Holy Spirit in common with Elizabeth, John the Baptist, with Mary, Zacharias. And we're here on earth because God has more for us to do. And it's going to be him who does the work in and through our lives. God wants to partner with us, you know, we as his servants. It's kind of like that picture where the the master delivered the talents to his servants while he's away. He's like, keep busy till I return. It's not just look like you're busy, but actually be involved in my work. And praise the Lord when he gives us the Holy Spirit, when we're born again through trusting in Christ, that he guides us into all truth. He empowers us. He gifts us. He helps us day by day, step by step. And we may, not understand, we may not know these overarching plans as far as, like with John the Baptist, you're going to prepare the way. And Jesus, he knew what, what his hour meant and what his life was leading towards. We don't know those things quite often, but we know who our Savior is and we know that we will be with him and that we can lead others to him. There are souls he wants saved and he's going to use you to do it to bring them to that knowledge, to prepare the way for him. And so as we magnify him, as we bring him into focus during this Christmas time, a new year, a new life, a new beginning. And I love that about our God, that he gives us new beginnings. You can have a new beginning in Jesus Christ today. You can have a new hope through faith in him today. And our expectations are often totally far off from what God wants to do. But let's trust him. Let's obey him. Let's praise him because that's basically this whole second half of the chapter is blessing God, praising God, magnifying him for the great things he's done and the things he's going to do. And he's still working. He is in our midst. And may he cause us to be fruitful. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are so great. You are so mighty perfect in all your ways that, Lord, so many times our expectations have been dashed. We, we expected you to work in a certain way like, like Martha and Mary who hurriedly sent you that message an emergency. They wanted you to come now, but Jesus waited because he loved them. Lord, when you tarry, help us to recognize your love. Help us to acknowledge that you do love us and that you are showing your love by waiting, your love for us and your love for others. And I pray we would be faithful, Lord, to be about your business, that you would fill our mouths and our hearts with thanksgiving and gratitude for the great things you've done, for the promises that you've made, for the grace and mercy you've shown each one of us in unique and, and uh, awesome ways. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be united in the fear of God as we serve you. What a... What a privilege to know you, to magnify you, to praise you. We thank you for these uh, dear folks that you've used in times past, for Mary, for John, Zacharias, Elizabeth, for my brothers and sisters here today that you've used in mighty ways. And we pray you would continue that work, Lord, till Jesus come and beyond. Lord, what what a hope, what a future. We praise and thank you for your awesome goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.